Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Stone Chapel, a podcast to the staff and friends of the Lanier Theological Library in Houston, Texas. My name is David Capes. I'm the Senior Research Fellow at the Library and your host for this series of podcasts. Our purpose is fairly simple. We want to bring to you great conversations with leading experts from around the world on biblical, theological, historical, and archaeological themes. Well, the list goes on. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Nora Creech is a wife, a mother, and an aficionado of the Shroud of Turin. She joins me today on the Stone Chapel. Nora, great to see you. Thank you, Dave. I really appreciate the opportunity to be here in this beautiful setting on this glorious day. It is a great day. It's a beautiful day here, a winter day in Houston. What brings you to town? I know you've lived in Houston for a while, but what brings you to town this time? This week, I'm doing a series of talks on the Shroud of Turin, which, as you mentioned, is my passion. It's something I've been interested in for a very long time. And so this week, I have five talks that I'm giving around the city of Houston. And I'm being sponsored in these talks by the National Museum of Funeral History, also here in Houston, because we are bringing a permanent exhibit on the Shroud to the museum that will open in 2023. So my talks are designed to inform people about the shroud mm. and to do a meditation on the the passion of Christ as we enter into the season of Lent, and then also to raise awareness about this exhibit that we're planning to bring to the city of Houston in the future. So you'll be back in 2023 to help get this launched. Yes, exactly. A lot of folks may not even know that there's a National Museum of Funeral History here in Houston. Yes, that's right. It was the background of it is that the industry, the funeral industry, used to be in people's homes, and it became more industrialized as mm. more individual homes started to sell their funeral equipment. There were people that had things in their garages or in their attics related to wow. the funeral industry. And so they came together and decided to create this funeral museum. And if you haven't been there, you should go because it's a beautiful museum. It's very large, and it covers a wide range of things related to death. Mm. And of course, every person becomes spiritual when they start thinking about their death. Yeah. So it's a very natural tie-in for things related to our spirituality. They have a wonderful exhibit on the funerals of George and Barbara Bush, for example, mm. and also on the burial of Pope St. John Paul II. Very great really? exhibits on those things. And so. in, in 2023, they'll have a, it sounds like a pretty outstanding replica of the Shroud of Turin itself. Yes, that's correct. So our exhibit is going to be the most famous burial of all time. And so we'll be focusing on the burial of Jesus and his burial cloth, which is known as the Shroud of Turin. And shroud just means burial cloth, and it's called the Shroud of Turin because it's housed in the city of Turin in Turin, Italy, and it's been there since 1578. So that's why it's referred to the as shroud the Shroud of, of Turin. Of Turin. So, yes. and, and if you wanted to see it, it's not always on display, right? Right. It's only on display about once every 25 years. So wow. Okay. The next time it's scheduled to be on display is in 2025. Okay. So about every 25 years, if you're in Turin, yes. you might get a chance to see it. That's right. All right, so how did you become so passionate about the Shroud of Turin? What is the draw for you about this? Well, the first time I learned about the Shroud of Turin, I was in high school, and I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. And in 1978, there was an international team of scientists that went to Turin, and they were given five days of uninterrupted time to study the Shroud. 
and they had over 120 hours, and they used every second of that time with pre-planned scientific exploration. And one of those scientists went to the church that I went to with my family Hmm, in Colorado. So when he came back from his time in Turin, he started giving lectures around town about what they had learned. And so every time he gave a lecture, my father and I would go. And so then I ended up going to the University of Colorado, and he was a professor on the faculty there. And so every time I needed to write a research paper, I would go to him, and I would have his research material to use for my papers for school. So I've been interested in it since 1978. It's really been a lifelong passion. So a number of people think it is the real burial cloth of Jesus. Some wonder whether it's a medieval forgery. How do you answer that question? For me, I think everyone who looks at the shroud contemplates Jesus of Nazareth. So whether they think it's an authentic burial cloth or whether they think it was made by some brilliant genius in the Middle (laughs) Ages, they're contemplating the suffering and death that Jesus experienced. Clearly, if it was a forgery, the person was trying to replicate what the Gospels tell us about Jesus. And so for a person of faith, it helps you to understand what Jesus endured, and it helps to understand the scriptures that tell us that he so loved the world, for God so loved the world that he gave his son for us. And I think that that message comes through when you study the shroud, whether you believe that it dates back to the burial of Jesus, or you think it was a very miraculous forgery that was somehow created in the Middle Ages. Now, the scientist friend who inspired you in Colorado, Mm -hmm. what was his conclusion? Well, he is a believer, and so he believes to this day that it is the authentic burial cloth of Jesus. The team ended up being over 33 scientists who studied the cloth, and they were from a wide variety of backgrounds. There were Catholics and Protestants, and there were agnostics, there were atheists, there were Jews. And so there was a wide variety Mm. of scientists who were involved in the Shroud of Turin research project team. And not all of them are convinced of its authenticity, even to this day. But still an Mm. amazing bit of imagery that has set our, I guess, our imaginations loose on how we see Jesus today. As you look at this, what does it tell you? It tells me that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He told his disciples over and over again, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over, I'm going to suffer, and then I'm going to die, but I'm going to rise again. And so we have the testimony of the Gospels that the tomb was empty except for the burial cloths. Mm -hmm. And so it tells me that Jesus did exactly what he said he was going to do. He told his followers there's... No greater calling than for someone to lay down their lives for their friends, and that's what he did. He fulfilled everything he said through his his life and through his resurrection, and that's what I see when I look at the shroud. Looking at the shroud, it makes you wonder what made this image exactly. I mean, how how does this image? Mm-hmm. I can see because there are there are, seem to be blood stains on it. There seem to be places where a body that had been ripped up by the cat of nine tails, the whipping, uh, would have bled into the cloth, that kind of thing. But you see other imagery that you wouldn't expect to see exactly, particularly when you look at it on this photographic negative. It's very light on the real shroud, but Mm -hmm. when you look at it in a photographic negative, it sort of stands out, right? Yes. And different kinds of light probably make Mm -hmm. it stand out too as well. Well, that's one of the great mysteries of the shroud, that 
the cloth itself is over 14 feet long, three and a half feet wide, and it has the double image of a man who's been crowned with thorns, scourged, crucified, and pierced in the side, all of the same wounds that Christ suffered. And as you mentioned, the image area where it shows the man of the shroud, it's only 15% darker than the background of the cloth. And the image is very superficial. It does not penetrate through the cell wall of the flax that made up the linen. So if you took a razor blade, you could scrape off the entire image area on the shroud. However, the blood stains that you mentioned, the blood stains soak through the entire fabric of the shroud. As you would expect. Yes. Right? And a very interesting thing is that the blood stains were on the fabric first. So underneath the bloodstains, there is no image area. And then you, you reference the photographic negative quality. So the first time the shroud was photographed was in 1898. And it was discovered at that time that the photographic negative has a great deal more information that's available to the viewer than the image that you see with the naked eye. So that is one of the mysteries of the shroud that was revealed with modern day technology of mm. ph photography. When I look at this, people have wondered, what does Jesus look like exactly, right? I'm sort of glad we don't, we don't know that Jesus had brown eyes or, or blue eyes or that kind of thing, because I think people would say, well, you have brown eyes just like Jesus. So can we say anything about the physical characteristics here, about height of Jesus, the, maybe the approximate weight of Jesus, that kind of thing? People said, looked at that for that purpose. Yes, it's the most studied artifact in the history of the world. Not the most studied religious artifact, but artifact of any kind. It's been studied extensively by forensic scientists, botanists, physicists, chemists, and on and on and on. And so they have been able to determine the characteristics of the man of the shroud. Mm -hmm. And they scientists speculate he was between 5'10 and, and 6 feet tall, 100. And that would have been tall for that time, right? There have been excavations that have found a range of mm -hmm. bones. Mm -hmm. And so he would have been on the tall end of that spectrum, but not an outlier right. within the range. Yeah, but like 5'10 to, to about 6 foot. Well-muscled, which would be consistent with the profession of a stonemason or a carpenter, as mm -hmm. Jesus was. And someone who walked, uh, who didn't have the luxury of getting in a car and traveling, but walking uh, miles and miles and miles mm -hmm. and miles. And he has the almond-shaped eyes and the, the long nose and the full beard that we associate with our image of Jesus to this day. And one thing I find very interesting, scholars have said that the most Jewish thing about the face or the appearance of the man of the shroud is he has an unbound ponytail. And so that huh. is the way that the teachers or the rabbis in the first century wore their hair. Which is interesting because it makes you wonder, would a medieval forger have known that? That's a great question, yes. You know, is that mm -hmm. the kind of thing that would have been common enough knowledge? If I'm going to manufacture this thing, right. I've got to make sure that it has the hair in a particular way. And make sure it's a photographic negative. Yeah. And that the blood is on the cloth first before the image is applied. So it yeah. sounds like you believe this is really the burial shroud of Jesus. I do. I, yeah. I'm fully convinced. Yes, I do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm still a little bit ambivalent, but boy, I just, I'm just mm -hmm. smitten by the idea that this relic mm -hmm. from the past had survived. And it has survived being hidden. It survived mm -hmm. being burned. 
I mean, or being in a fire, not being yes. burned, mm-hmm. so being in a fire, survived water damage mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. We were talking earlier about how our Dead Sea Scroll jar down in the in the main hall, that there may have been a jar like that for the shroud itself. Yes, I mentioned that to you because sometimes the shroud is called the fifth gospel because it has so much information about what Jesus suffered. Recently, I've heard people starting to call it the first gospel because the image on the shroud would have predated any of the written Gospels. Well, that's right, yeah. But it would have been very appropriate for the Shroud to have been stored in one of the scroll jars. And there are historians who are piecing together the history of the Shroud before it showed up in written history. And they speculate that for a period of time it was stored in one of the scroll jars, and it was hidden in plain view in that way. So it started out in Palestine, or the land of Judah, as as the Romans might have known it. But now today it's in Turin in Italy, which is kind of in eastern Italy, as I recall. Yes, a little bit no, to the north. North, north mm-hmm. northeastern. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and I know that's got to be a long history. How does, it, how does it make it from one place mm-hmm. to the next? Can you give us a little sort of snapshots yes. of what happened along the way? I can tell you that it shows up for the first time in recorded history in in the 1350s, and it showed up in France. And as I mentioned, historians are very actively working to put together the journey of the Shroud before the 1350s. There is very good evidence that it was in Constantinople in 1204 during the Fourth Crusade, and that, as you know, the Fourth Crusade was one of the darkest moments in the history of Christianity, when Christians sacked and ransacked and stole the artifacts and the sacred objects that were in the city of Byzantium or Constantinople. And so it's speculated that the shroud was stolen during that crusade in 1204. Mm-hmm. And the, the taken Pope... Taken back to Europe then at that yes, point. Yes, taken into France. Mm-hmm. And the Pope at that time put anyone who stole relics or artifacts during the crusade, put them under the threat of excommunication. So anyone who had anything stolen from that time, you can imagine, tried to keep it a secret. And so when the shroud showed up in the 1350s, the family that owned it could never say for sure how they came to own it, or they would never admit how they came to own it. So it's believed it was in Constantinople between uh, 944 and 1204. Mm -hmm. And before that time, it was in the area of Edessa in modern-day Turkey. And that would be southern Turkey, uh, just north of... Syria, I guess. Yes, and that was one of the very first areas that became Christianized right after the death of Jesus. And legend has it that the the apostle Jude Thaddeus traveled to Edessa and took Mm. the the shroud of Jesus to the king. Now, this is a legend, but it, it persists in letters that were exchanged in ancient times, and it also is in some artworks that this shroud was taken to King Abgar in Edessa. So, as I said, there are people who are very diligently working to working, fill in the blanks. Trying to figure blanks. that out. Yes. So, as you think about this, I know you, you've studied this both as an artifact, but also as a, I guess, a, a spiritual uh, thing. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you want people to know about the Shroud of Turin? I want people to know that, as Pope St. John Paul II said, the image does not hold people to itself. It points people to Jesus. And it's it's an icon of God's love for us. And so the shroud is a wonderful tool to be able to use to talk to people about what Jesus did for us. And 
I love the shroud because it's a great mystery and it mm-hmm. has a lot to be revealed even still, even though it has been the most studied artifact in history. But the point of the shroud is that it, it is to focus our attention on Jesus. And it was through his redemptive death and resurrection that the veil was torn open and Jesus, through his, the veil of his flesh, opened up heaven to all of us, to all people for all time, the perfect sacrifice. No, we just got through walking through the stone chapel here, and there's imagery all over the ceiling that mm-hmm. reminds us of the uh, stories of the Bible and uh, images of Jesus as well. But it strikes me that in a way, this is this is that kind of thing. This is this kind of teaching tool. Yes, that, exactly. In a sense, affirms what we read in the Gospels, and at the same time, reminds us of that, but also, as you said, points us heavenward. Yes, that's exactly right. Yeah. And recently I've heard people talking about it as being the first selfie. That it's <laughs> first a, selfie, the oh first gosh. selfie, Jesus <laughs> selfie. And I think what's remarkable, if you look at the face of Jesus, he's he's dead. He's in repose. But people who are studying how the image was formed are, believe that it was at the moment of resurrection when the image was formed. And you look at that face and you know the trauma that is reflected on his body, mm. that he was brutally tortured and and died as a result of what he endured. And yet his face reflects the message of peace and love that he lived through his whole life. And so I love the to reflect on the image of Jesus. And I've been reflecting a lot lately on the scriptures that, that call us to seek God's face. And here we have an image of Jesus when he's at his most vulnerable, most brutalized, and yet he's saying, I'm with you. I I understand your suffering. I'm with you in your suffering. And yet we're going to transform that suffering through the resurrection. And that's the promise that I see in the face of Jesus on the shroud. That is a thing of beauty, mm-hmm. isn't it? It is. Where It's such a wonderful gift that, that we've been given. And in 2023, a Authentic replica? Is that, can you say that? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Authentic replica of the shroud mm-hmm. is going to be in Houston for people to see at the National Museum. Yes, of permanently. History. It will permanent be a exhibit. part of the permanent collection so of the if, funeral if, museum. So even if you can't get to Turin in 2025 to see it, yes, that's right. You can see one here. Yes, that's exactly right. So the Archbishop of Turin has given a gift to the Archdiocese of Galveston, Houston, of this replica which is very special. It was grown in a field in Bergamo, Italy, uh, from heirloom flax seeds, harvested and processed in the ancient ways, woven on an on a loom manufactured to ancient specifications. Wow. And it's a, a beautiful piece of linen fabric, and then it'll be high-definition laser printed with the image of the the man of the shroud, including the blood stains. The so that's how they did it in the Middle Ages. They had a high that's definition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course, they didn't. No, Nora, this is fascinating. Thank you for being with us today and uh, talking about this. And I look forward to seeing the shroud. I probably won't get to Turin in twenty twenty five, but if I do, I'll I'll take a look at it. But definitely here at the museum. Well, thank you so much for the opportunity. As you said, it's it's my passion. I love to talk about the Shroud, so I really appreciate any opportunity. If anybody wants to know more about you and or more about the Shroud, how could they do that? I'm available by email. There, I'm also available through the National Museum of Funeral History. Their website is nmfh.org, 
and the current calendar of the speaking engagements that I'm scheduled for are all listed on their website and then our planned events. So I have some more times in June I'll be speaking and then we have a speaker coming from Rome in September who will be talking about the Shroud also. Wonderful. Well, thanks for letting us know about this. I hope folks will go down there and see it. And uh, for those who don't live in the Houston area, uh, maybe make their way here to see it as a, as a destination. That would be wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Nora, thanks. Blessings on your work. Thank you so much. Thank you for, for letting me be here to talk about the Shroud. Thanks to Brent Johnson and Janet Seifert for editing these podcasts. Thanks as well to Phil Keggy for our music. These podcasts are made possible by the generosity of Mark and Becky Lanier and the Lanier Theological Library Foundation. If you have questions, comments, or would just like to be in touch, please email us at podcast at lanierlibrary.org. Lanier is L-A-N-I-E-R. Thanks for listening. <laughs>